Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, I am very happy to be sitting across from the very wonderful and non-spectacled now, Tom Siders, the Associate Principal Trumpet of the Boston Symphony. Um, I'm doing a little bit of a tour here, and so Tom uh, made some time for me to come into his home, his beautiful home here in the Berkshires, and to talk to me a little bit about how he's so awesome. So... Hi, Tom. Thank you for having me in your home. I appreciate it. Hey, Ryan. How's it going, man? <laughs> it's going great. Good. Um, if you hear noises in the background, that is Tom's cat, who is currently... You know how cats are. They're going to do their thing when you don't want them to do it. And she's also just insane in general. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's uh, just running around the house right now. <laughs> so, we'll make it work. We'll make it happen. Um, but yeah, since we don't have necessarily short amount of time... But um, there are some kind of specific probing questions that I would like to ask you. And then at some point, if we, are, uh, if we have a little bit of time, I would like to talk to you a little bit about sort of your, uh, I guess, educational journey, you okay. know, because you are not a Northwestern, right? You know what I mean? You're not a product of all that kind of thing. Right. So you, when I listen to you play, you sound beautiful, but it's different. And it's different playing from what like I have heard. But it's clearly like great trumpet playing, beautiful trumpet playing. So I'd like to know kind of what your lineage is and how you okay. developed your own approach and your own style. And that's going to come into question. That's one of the questions I have too uh, about developing your own style, which... Very cool. Um, I want to talk first. I don't know if you remember this. I'm sure you do, but... When I was here in 2013, I did the FCM thing. Yeah. And before I showed up, there was a broadcast of you guys doing the music from Lincoln. Uh. And I was listening to it, and you were sounding beautiful on the Malice with None thing. And then there was this epic missed note. Oh, yeah. And I remember listening to it thinking, that's one of the best missed notes I've ever heard in my life. You were just totally going for it. <laughs> and then I talked to you at... I was going to tell you about it and be like, man, I just loved it. You were going for it. And you were like, dude, I actually feel like I learned some stuff from that. And I remember you, I'd like you just to tell that story and we can kind of talk about the ramifications of learning why you feel like you, do you remember what you know what I'm talking about, right? I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. yeah. I okay. mean, I, you know, it's, it's funny because it's like, what is that like about, about six years ago now? And, yeah. uh, you know, um, but I do remember that vividly because I mean, this was a, a situation where, you know, John Williams was conducting and like... <laughs> I'm just sorry. I'm the cat, the, cat, the cat is running laps around the house. I'm so sorry. Okay, so Lincoln, John Williams, Boston Pops, 2013. Um, you know, it, this is like one of those situations where you know, like I grew up watching the Boston Pops on TV, right? Evening at Pops. Where are you from? Oh, so I grew up in in uh, Champaign, Illinois. Okay. So, so you're, yeah, you're watching on TV. Yeah, so I'm you? watching on TV. You know, and so you know, I'm I'm, I'm sitting in the orchestra playing for John Williams. And we're doing this Lincoln thing, and and you know, I, it was. I mean, I, I never make a secret about about um, you know that that sort of throughout my life, I've I've struggled, you know, somewhat with performance anxiety, and so this was one of those things where I was just like, you know, I was really tuned up, I was really like kind of, I was nervous mm -hmm. and excited and all those things, and um, you know, it was going okay, and you know, like that's that's a pretty that's a pretty long drawn out 
solo. Because it was like a whole suite, right? It wasn't... Yes. I mean, the, the solo itself has yeah. been put into like a concert setting. Right. But this was not that. This, this was, was not that. This was... Because this was not long after the movie came out, yeah. I think. And and so this was more like, you know, just like bits from the movie, basically. And um, yeah, you know, I forget what night that was because I think we did it a couple nights, you know, and this was just the one that was broadcast. And... Um, you know, I think really what that was, you know, I think I was coming down that scale near the end after like the, it was after that sort of um, quasi cadenza mm-hmm. bit in yeah. there. And I was coming down, there's a scale that you come down and I just, boy, that it was an epic cack. I mean, it, it was, was just, I yeah. Mean, it was like a splee ah. I mean, like. And I mean, in that particular instance, you're the only thing happening. Literally the only yeah. thing happening. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, and honestly, I mean, I think, you know, what I, <laughs> you know, I mean, in the moment I was just like, wow, that was that was terrible. This is awful. Yeah. You know, great. You know, I mean, you got to let it go, right? Because <laughs> sure, it already sure. happened, but it was not something I enjoyed, mm-hmm. uh, really, let's say. Um, but it really, I think what it, you know, if I think about what it taught me, like the biggest thing was, it was like, like focus. I wasn't just like thinking about the line. I wasn't thinking about yeah. the phrase. I was like thinking about physically playing the trumpet. Well, I also remember you. I remember exactly what you told me because okay. it, it, it made an impression on me. Okay, which was you said because you there were some rewrites or something like that you were going yes. in, and so it was it wasn't just the same solo you had rehearsed the whole entire time. That's right? true. And so you had some rewrites, and so like maybe the concert you were playing slightly a slightly different version than what mm-hmm. you had rehearsed, or something like that. That's true. And you were playing the whole thing, and I remember you told me that you basically at one point thought, "Oh my gosh, like I haven't missed anything," you know. And then you said, like almost at that exact moment is when you missed that note, right? Right. And I mean, I was, and that's like that's like a. I mean, what is that? I mean, it's like I was totally. I was thinking about the past, and also kind of about the future, and I wasn't in what I was doing, right? Yeah. And I think this is so applicable to, maybe more applicable to when you have a solo, right? Or an exposed solo and a solo in general. But I think all performance, like to create our maximal, uh, I guess the most compelling product we can, I think you have to be as in the moment as possible, thinking about what it is. And it's hard to do. So I'd like to sit on focus for a second and we can kind of unpack this so other people can maybe get if they struggle with focus or they struggle with performance anxiety. Because I also think performance anxiety is can be a lot related to you're just thinking about other things. Totally. You're not focused on the moment. Absolutely. So, uh, why don't we just go with your just like just start talking, just like whatever your thoughts are on how you have tried to maybe pr- like practice focus. You know what I mean? Or like what you do to, to try to get into a zone where you are focused. What kind of if there is work that goes into that, yeah. or if it's just sort of like you make a conscious choice every time I'm going to be, you know what I mean? Like yeah, how kind of you, how do you get into that? So I mean, I, yeah, what you just said about making a con- a conscious choice to to have that kind of focus to only be in like each moment. That's a big part of it for me. I mean, it's just sort of like, you know, that's like, it's almost like a mantra. I have it in the front of my head all the time, you know, to just like, you know, what has happened has happened. What is going to happen hasn't happened yet. I mean, so there's no point in thinking about that, right? So it's just sort of like be in every note, every every measure of rest that you count, every note that you play, that's just all you're doing. It's sort of like this like wide-eyed just stare, just sort of like, following it along, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, And one of the ways, actually, lately that I've been sort of cultivating that is um, I'm going to, like, plug another sort of uh, thing 
like a mindfulness thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's this there's this app called Headspace, mm-hmm. which I actually don't use the Headspace app, but what I do do is I use uh, the Nike Running Club. App okay. Yeah. On like my on my on my Apple Watch, which is super cool, um, and they have these Headspace runs. Right. So I like to run and they have these guided sort of meditative runs that are basically all about this staying in the moment, you know, and a lot of it they're relating to running, you know, which I'm not like, you know, I'm not like a professional runner. I mean, I'm not actually a very good runner at all. But, you know, all the stuff that that the the guy who started Headspace, Andy Puttingcomb, talks about is just like like staying in your body and like basically releasing your thinking mind so that you're just like, yes, you're thinking, but just about what you're doing and nothing else. Yeah. This is very interesting to me for a lot of reasons. The first thing is I remember my second year at Tanglewood. Mm-hmm. I was talking about this with Rolf's the other day. My second year at Tanglewood was very different than my first year because I was two years apart. So uh, it was before I went to Northwestern and then after I was done. Right. Okay. So it book ended my time there. And I remember being in a class and hearing Rolf's play something. And then I heard him play another thing. And it was just so different. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's so, it's just so compelling to hear somebody who can make such different sounds on the trumpet. So I went home and I started thinking to myself, how do I do this, right? How do I do this? And so I've made a podcast or maybe a blog post about this. I don't know. What I did is I took some Bordonis or Rose shoes, whatever you call them. Yeah. And I decided instead of thinking, I'm just going to play this note, like I'm thinking just the pitch. Because before when I heard the note, I was thinking pitch, right? Right. Like what's the, what is the pitch? Like what, so I don't miss that thing. Yeah. I decided I would try to add articulation, sound, pitch, even like rhythm related to each other, like subdivision to try to like envision the whole and let everything that comes out of my instrument would be based on what I hear in my head. So if I want to make color changes, what does that sound like? Right. Not just like, how should I move my air? Some sort of mathematical put together. What I found was in the immediate moment of me trying to do that, it was exhausting. Totally. Right? Because you're thinking so much. And I realized how much my brain had not been thinking when I played my instrument. And that's what it sounds like what you were just saying. I don't know if you want to expand upon that at all, especially related to playing in the BSO and practicing this kind of focus and exhausting and trying to, especially playing principal, you're trying to not only navigate your part, but you're trying to navigate it within the confines of what else is happening and interpreting what a conductor is doing. So the focus is even further higher up. I don't know if you just want to expand upon what your experience is trying to get better at that within the context of doing such a big job. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, you know, one of the analogies that I keep coming back to is, you know, say you're watching like a, like an American football game, like NFL or something. And, and this phrase announcers use, not infrequently. They, they talk about, especially when they talk about quarterbacks, but I think it, it could really apply to any position on the field. Um, they, they, they talk about a player, you know, um, when the game slows down for them, so to speak, you know, when like what they're seeing on the field slows down and they're able to actually just see a lot more. A lot of that comes just from doing it more. You know, you just have to do it kind of a lot. You know, I mean, that's experience that is just like experiencing things, you know. And so naturally, you're going to just like just get better at that without really trying just the more you do it. Okay. But I think, you know, you have to also be conscious of that and you have to cultivate that. Um, and, you know, I mean, 
what you said about it just it takes a lot of mental energy. Yeah. You know, and and I think you know, if we just like realize that, I think just like acknowledging that paying attention that closely. And I think that's a for me that's a better way to say it than focus because I think focus you know, maybe this is not necessarily a bad thing, but but sometimes I think the word focus, for me anyway, can kind of you know it, it's too it's almost like it's too serious. Mm-hmm. It's like you have to focus. You know, it's like your <laughs> your brow is furrowed, and it's like okay, well, it's very serious now. You better focus. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like no, it's like like intensely pay attention. Yeah. You know, open your ears so freaking wide. So how do you how do you do that? Like, what allows you to open your ears? Because in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly, in my opinion, related to fundamentals and how well you're prepared, right? Yeah. But if you don't really know what's fully going on with your part, it, you can't. You basically can't Absolutely. do it. So I would imagine you feel, yeah. Similar. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. I mean, it's it's all about, you know, um, you have to know, yes, you have to know your part. You have to know how it interacts with other parts. I mean, you know, there's, there's a whole, th- I think a lot of people who have studied music, you know, who have been in music school and all this stuff, you know, they hear the thing about like, you know, you got to, you know, study the score and, you know, listen to the recordings and stuff. And, and those things are true. I mean, like if I'm really honest, I mean, before a first rehearsal of something, I absolutely will listen to a recording. Unless it's a brand new piece that a recording does not exist. Yeah, right. You know, so I will absolutely listen to a recording. Will I look at a score? Not necessarily. I will absolutely look at my part while I listen to the music. Yeah. Okay. So I know sort of like, and I make mental notes about, you know, sort of how that interacts. You know, once I get into rehearsal, if there's something that I really cannot uh, 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 um, that isn't lining up that, that I can't really reconcile. That's what I was looking for. Um, then I'll go to a score. Yeah. You know, I mean, so that's kind of like my own personal version of that. But yeah, I mean, that then frees you up from worrying about what you're doing because you know what you're doing. Yeah. And then you can just be listening around. You you have your eyes and ears wide open. Barbara talks a lot about having like a plan, right? Yeah. And I think this is very interesting because in the context of an audition, mm-hmm. uh, your plan is your plan. You're putting it forward just like that. Totally. But clearly in an orchestra situation, I would say in my job, nine times out of 10, it's going to be my plan. Yeah. Right? They, I rarely get changed, right? The interpretation gets changed from right. what it is, right? Uh, I don't know if that's your experience. If you get like ch- things changed around more, but then what is your process? Do you go home and try to ingrain that thing that you've been asked or do you just feel like your fundamentals are good enough that you can make those shifts? I, I would say the latter. I mean, like, you know, when I, I would say that that my practicing, it is, I don't know what percentage, 90% fundamentals, if not more. Yeah. Be, you know, like, like I practice rep, like, you know, for whatever's going on in the orchestra, only if there is something that physically I, I like can't do or is very difficult, like acrobatic. A lot of times that's that's in like these like new pieces, you know, newer music that's really challenging. So, you know, I mean, I, I just focus on my fundamentals. I want to be able to physically play the trumpet well enough that in the moment, in the orchestra, when I need to be flexible, I don't have to think about physically playing the trumpet. I just, yeah. I, I, I use my ears. I use my, my, um, experience you know, expressivity to do that. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, just to touch, just to back up just a second on this focus Mm -hmm. and I guess, or paying attention closely as you would rather put it. Um, 
I find it gets better the more you do it. Absolutely. And so you're sort of raising the bar, but you sort of have to dig in right at the beginning and do it. Yeah. So you find that to be true as well? Uh, dude, totally. I mean, you mentioned something about auditions, and I, this kind of ties in for me. You know, when you're taking an audition, like you said, it's your plan. And, you know, with the exception of maybe when you're playing a, a section round, you know, you're, you're doing your thing. You know, you are presenting your opinions, right? And in a, in, I think in a way that's easier because you're just doing what you know to be true, right, right? Right. And for me, once I got into the orchestra, once I started my job, that was a really, really difficult transition, learning curve. I had a really hard time with that, you know, like reacting, you know, on the fly and, and not letting that kind of mess me up. You know, and it took it took a while to feel comfortable with that kind of, you know, thing to to, to feel comfortable being able to change things on the fly to be you were pretty young, too. Right. I was 24. Yeah. 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 When so I I'm sure that's part of it, too, is yeah. your experiences before that were school, probably. Dude. Yeah. I mean, school to the Boston Symphony Orchestra. That's a pretty big jump in terms of the thing I've learned about you guys is not just in terms of maybe the level, right? The caliber mm -hmm. of playing that's going on, yeah. but also just the workload. Like a, yeah, how much music, and especially Tanglewood, obviously, yeah. where you're learning so many different programs, but yeah. just having to be prepared for a different program every week. I think you guys have a lot of services yeah. and, uh, and it's probably the way it is for you. You play everything, generally speaking, because Tom will get the reprieve and then you play for Tom. Right. And then I guess here, maybe you want to talk about this just for a second. You yeah. don't, when there's a third part, Mike plays that, right? Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah. the way we do things in the BSO section, it may be different from other orchestras. I'm not actually sure. But basically, um, on like a big second half piece, like a Strauss tone poem, like, uh, you know, like a Mahler symphony with only three parts, like a Shostakovich symphony with three parts, like Bruckner symphonies that I think always have three parts, um, Mike Martin will play third on those pieces that have three parts. Okay. Uh, and that's like really to sort of um, expand the role of like the fourth utility, whatever you want to call it, player. Because I think, you know, it, it gives that player uh, a more challenging things to do. I mean, like yeah. rather than playing second on concerti all the time, you know what I mean? Because that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know... It, it's not yeah. very fun. Well, no. Just to put it bluntly, I mean, right. it's an important role, but yes. like in terms of engagement of player, it's not the right. same thing as playing some of those more active, more interesting parts, right. for sure. And I think especially for like a trumpet player, because it's like, you know, we're one and apart, you know, like we're, we're in school and like, you know, we're playing all this like rap. And I think, you know, for most of us, like, you know, it, we're like the goal is to be playing the first part on like the, 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 you know, the Alpine symphony or the first part on like the Mahler two or like whatever. And so, you know, you, you get this great job and you're, you're really happy. And then, you know, you're playing, like I said, like second trumpet on like concerti, like all the time. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a tangent, but, um, so basically, yeah, Mike will play third on, you know, pieces like Don Quixote, uh, Till Eulenspiegel, um, Mahler seven, Mahler nine, most Shostakovich symphonies, except for four and seven, I think. Uh, and then, what, 15 only has two, whatever. Um, it's out of my league. <laughs> and so, but then, if, if there's like a large piece on a second half that has four or more parts, I will usually play third. Okay. Okay, like Mahler two, I play third. Mahler five, I play third. Mahler six is different, I play fifth, because it's more soloistic. 
that's the one where you hang out for like an hour yeah. and then you play. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which honestly, it's like honestly, like in 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 the associate principal world, that's kind of we do that not infrequently. I mean, I'm thinking about Mahler too. Also, it's like you know, there's stuff to do, but then you like go off stage and you play totally by yourself and like yeah. this really exposed thing. You know, it's sort of like you know, I, I think you have to get good at in, in like the associate principal mode of just like switching on and off. Yeah, interesting. Uh, you know, well, and I think this would then go back to fundamentals too. This is something in my job I think about a lot, even though it's it's principal, but it's, in the, it's like a little bit smaller group. We don't play big rep. I, I just mean smaller. We don't play huge rep all the time okay. because our our core is like fifty four sure. musicians. Uh, but it's something I think about all the time is um, basically at my trying to get my fundamentals to a point where I can basically do whatever I, I need to do, whether I'm like, subs, you know, secondary or if yep. I'm leading the thing uh, and being able to like listen, like you said, I mean, we sit in a spot. I don't know if it's the same for you, but we sit in a spot where it's it's hard to hear yeah. things and hard to know if I'm perfectly in tune and, and like we don't sit right behind the woodwinds or something. So it's really hard to tell. And like right. I've learned my wife is a clarinet player. And oh, cool. So we have like an open communication now about some of this stuff. So I'm finally able to like get feedback Dude. about what's going on. And it's incredible. It sucks actually to hear some of these things that you think She's not critical. She's not mean about it, right? But you get to this point. I would love for you to talk about this too, actually. Okay. We get to this point where we get we get our jobs and we're supposed to then be completed products, right? And, <laughs> and we rarely get feedback on a level like we did when we had teachers. Right. And so for me, even to have her occasionally saying, you know, certain things that I might not be aware of, which is why things happen, right? We're not aware of them. Sure. Nobody actively tries to play out of tune. So when they right. do, it's because they aren't aware. Uh I wonder what you think about this idea of like, how have you continued to improve in the absence of, um, in the absence of, the cat jumped up on the counter here. So we're like trying to, we're going to remove the cat from the premises. There we go. So what you think about trying to improve in the absence of having like a coach or do you go seek out coaches or do you feel like hearing these people in the Boston Symphony or coaches enough? You know what I mean? Like what is your approach to sort of continually improving uh, being in a, in a job like that. So I think it's a combination of a lot of these things. I mean, to be, I mean, to be really honest, I haven't like taken an actual lesson with someone in a long time, like from outside of the BSO family. We like the trumpet players, we play for each other sometimes, you know, it's usually not in like, like, it's not like, you know, an hour lesson, but you know, we'll play for each other. Be like, what, what do you hear? Can you tell me what you hear? This is what I think I hear. This is what I feel, you know? So, so that's really helpful. You know, like a lot of times in the basement of Symphony Hall before a concert, you know, we like, you know, a mute or, or, or a mouthpiece or like, you know, dude, is, is this, am I doing what I think I'm doing? Right, 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 right. So, so that's, that's a nice thing about the collegiality of our trumpet section that we, you know, can be really honest with each other and ask each other this kind of stuff. Um, okay, that's one thing. The, another thing is that, yeah, listening to, you know, our, the woodwind section, listening to the strings, listening to how they phrase things listening to how they sort of interpret musically these lines, that has taught me a lot over the last almost 10 years that I've been in the orchestra. Like, that that, that has taught me a lot. This, yeah, it's something I... You know, I've been so in my own space about playing principal and trying to get my thing together and my thing ready. Yeah. And then when I don't play, I, I, I'm not going to lie, I just do that thing that brass players do where we just check out, where we have like 82 measures of rest. I just check out. And then... Yeah. Very recently, I played for Barbara mm -hmm. Butler, and um, 
I don't know. I just, I realized a lot of things and I started realizing, man, I have so many incredible musicians sitting a couple of feet away from me. I should really, I mean, I have no problem admitting this actually. I think most people would would like should be shy about admitting this publicly, but who cares? I don't think I don't really care that much. I just wasn't listening, right? Yeah. I, I was like not taking advantage of this thing that's totally. right there with people who are much more experienced who have thought about the things I'm thinking about for a lot longer than I've been thinking about it, right? Right. And that's been a huge help. And like you said, listening, man, woodwinds think about it differently. Strings think about it differently. And it's not good, right or right or otherwise, but it seems like what could we learn from that? Right. I mean, and, and I don't know. In my experience, it seems like 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 uh, like wind players and string players, they, I don't know if they're taught about phrasing earlier on in their sort of development. I think they just have like music. Like trumpet players, we don't have, we have like three romantic things, right? <laughs> we don't have true. Beethoven's, we don't have Bach. No, and, that's true. I mean, clearly, I, I also don't want to leave out percussionists, right? It's just in the totally. orchestral vibe, we don't we don't see them in like things like Beethoven. We see timpani players, of course. Sure. And that's fascinating to me as well. Yeah. How timpani players are able to make music with rhythm in like two pitches. That's fascinating to me. And there's yes. a lot to be learned from that as well. Yes, there is. And I really try to live. Our timpani player is great. His name is Jay Burnham. Mm -hmm. He's really, really great. And so I, I, I try to, when I play Beethoven, I'm like locked in with him and I'm oh, just yeah. trying to do it like him. Oh yeah. Because I totally trust that. It's just, yeah, the orchestra world, I don't think percussionists have like percussion ensemble is like where they're going to be able to shine unless totally. you get like, you know, a bigger piece of music. And I just, I feel like um, they don't have the same kind of, same thing with like trumpets and stuff in the yeah. early repertoire. We just don't have the same kind of opportunities to play music that the same way the strings and woodwinds do. That's true. And I think, you know, because of that, uh, you know, and I don't, I, I can't speak to percussionists, but I know I, for trumpet players, I, I think we all tend to like, we, we, because of that, we, we think too physically hmm. about the instrument. I mean, that's like, all like if i can boil down what i've done in my own playing since starting this job in 2010 it's like i have become less physically minded hmm. about what i do and like when i teach that's i feel like that's all i'm saying it's like yeah i mean we have to talk about physicality sometimes you know but for the most part it's about removing those thoughts or like or just like thinking about the music instead of thinking about sort of like where are you putting your tongue or you know what how many decibels are you playing there? Or like, you know, what, <laughs> yeah. what you know, a uh, velocity of error, you know, it's just like, yeah. I mean, those things happen, sure. But it's like, I think for the most part, when we think about them, I, I think it becomes problematic. I do too. I think that paralysis by analysis becomes very possible. Totally. Especially, yeah, I don't think, I, I think about it in terms of that. I don't think it's a mathematical equation. I don't think you can mathematically put together a good phrase. True. You know, I think those components can come together, but I just think it's too much stuff to think about separately. I think if you can think about it, sorry, I just, I do this a lot. I just have one thought going and then I make a better thought. Totally. And so I just stop mid yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm the same way, honestly. It's like, I, I, I feel like when I present information to people, I'm just, it's like a mess. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying you're not a mess, but I feel like no, I'm a no. mess. I'm, I'm just sort of like, wait, what about this one thing? Yeah. Hold on, I have to say that now. You know? <laughs> you know, that's the same way. I just come up with a better thought. And the better thought for me is, is I've described it to people in terms of um, like, what are good things about playing an instrument? Like intonation, uh, rhythm, sound, articulation, oh. style. Let's go with those five things. Okay. So if you devoted all of your thought to rhythm, yeah. then that's 100% of your thought going to rhythm. You can't think about anything else, right? So right. if we assume our brain, it has a finite amount of <laughs> focus capabilities, right? right? So you say, well, if I want to think about all of them, then I only get 20% 
on each of them, right? Okay, right. So then that doesn't seem like it's a winning gambit either, right? Because like if I'm thinking about intonation 20%, then let's just say for the sake of argument, 80% of what I'm doing is left unchecked. Right. So then I just think if we come up with a sound concept that includes all of those things, like a beautifully in tune and good rhythm sound with like proper articulation and style, if that's possible to like envision what that sound sounds like. Yep. And then think 100% about that. That's right. one thing we can think about that covers all of those bases. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and that's like, and that, that kind of, this actually kind of jives with what we were talking about before of like, you know, like knowing, knowing how you, what you, knowing how your part fits into everything else. It's like, then it, it's like you just play the tune. Right, right. You, you do the thing. Yeah. And it's like, it's all, you're right. It's all of those things in, all in one. And then when you're doing it in an orchestra, if you can expand what that one concept is to possibly hearing the whole yeah. rather than what your part is and you're hoping it works. Yeah. Right. I feel like you're just going to be more successful in playing with a group and being what you need to be. Absolutely. And that's one thing I like about your playing a lot in the orchestra is that it's exactly what it needs to be when it's a, like a secondary role, like you're present, mm. but it's not obliterative but at times that you need to come out it sounds like you have no problem being able to sit right on top of the group and i imagine some of this comes from just like trying to hear where you sit in the group yeah and i mean honestly like yeah i i mean i, I appreciate you what you just said you know uh because i do that's like i make a real conscious effort to do that you know because i i mean i don't know over the years you know you hear these recordings or you hear things live where it's like you know you hear <laughs> you hear these like you hear trumpet players or, or or brass players or maybe anybody but mostly like trumpet players maybe like the hard brass trumpet trombone where it's like you know you have these like hits or you have these like you know off beats or you have these things that are definitely not the melody and they're just like <laughs> and it's like you know like all of that person's like you know self-worth is going into this <laughs> you know and it's like and i get it because it's like you know we want to like we want to bring enough we yeah, want to yeah. like you know contribute right but at the same time it's like dude that's not the tune yeah you know that's not the main event here you know so it's like i try really hard to make that difference to like to, you know i have these you know like these different levels of of like you know contributing to the whole experience so and a lot of so this is this is something I was thinking. I, I listened to the Boston Symphony played uh, a concert last night, but Dvorak Eight was the big piece, right? Mm -hmm. And something I was thinking was that there were times even where, like in my mind, I was like maybe like I would play it louder or softer. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just like kind of thinking like. Yeah. And I wondered. Well, I wonder if that's like a conductor decision. But like from what you basically said, I, it sounds like that's like you are like trying to do that all on your own without somebody, which is like what probably a conductor wants, right? Somebody who can self-manage that. Right. I mean, because I think, you know, I mean, you know, specifically to last night, there were a few things. Like the conductor last night was Ken David Mazur, who I love. He's fantastic. Um, and he has... He had some opinions about sort of like brass balance in some places. And, and I would say, you know, maybe overall a little, he had maybe a few more opinions than, say, the average conductor. And, you know, so, you know, we have to do, we have to do that, you know. Um, I mean, I think it helps when I, I think I happen to, I mean, I happen to agree with what he was asking for. That so doesn't that, hurt anything. That doesn't <laughs> hurt, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think also, though, a lot of times, yeah, like the conductor 
a conductor, I think, expects every player to be making those de- decisions themselves. You know, I, that's like that's on us. That's like that's on us as as artists, yeah, as individual artists in this collective to like be making these decisions. And then you know, if there's a difference of opinion, then there's a conversation or there's a direction. Yeah, you know, and that's and that's totally cool. Um, but yeah, you know, and and it's interesting. Like, um, and this actually goes back to something you were saying earlier about like, you know, how do you keep improving? Actually, so what I'm looking forward to um, is actually listening back to last night's concert. Um, Because fortunately, you know, we have this awesome recording team, you know, uh, that that, that we have at the BSO, um, you know, that have won Grammys for our for our Shostakovich cycle. and these these guys they're there all the time they record every concert and there's like an internal um stream of that it's like it's not public unfortunately um but it's you know basically for reference and i listen to that especially when i have something more involved yeah. say yeah. you know like like last night's concert where i'm not only playing every piece but it's like you know there's there's more playing in them i i i can't wait till after the weekend when when um, our recording engineer posts that stuff to the internal stream, I'm going to go back and listen. I'm going to see if what I thought I was doing came out. Yeah. So we don't, unfortunately, in Alabama, it's harder, right, to do. We have like some great, actually, like some great capabilities of recording, but sure, the system is a little bit harder yeah. to get a hold of them. But the few times that I've done that, it's 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 actually weird because if I just had that information. In the first rehearsal, yeah. you know what I mean. Like, yeah. there's so many things that I'm like, oh, I just need to play a little louder there, and it will be exactly what I want it to sound like. Right? right? Like, right? Oh, okay. Like, I didn't know that until after the concert. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. After I need it. So yeah, you can try to put that, you know, to the next concert, I suppose. But yeah, yeah recording. It sounds like you think is a very invaluable part of growth, which I would agree with, but I just think people need to hear more people talk about this. Yes. I mean, absolutely recording yourself and then listening back to that recording sort of as you listen to any other recording, you know, say you're going to go listen to, you know, like, you know, uh, the New York Philharmonic from the late 80s, you know, play Mahler 3, which is like, that's your favorite recording, right? It's I remember my, that. From yeah, it's, it's absolutely my favorite recording. Yeah. You know, I mean, like we then, we, 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 we need to listen to ourselves in the third person from a recording in the same exact way. Yeah. You know, because I think sometimes we can get kind of like caught up with, with like our experience or like, you know, because it's us that we're listening to, we either are too hard on ourselves or not hard enough. It, I think it kind of depends sometimes. Yeah. And so I think we have to really try to just like listen in, a, in the third person. So what's your, what, when you listen to yourself, what's your process? Like, how do you make it so you're not too hard or not too easy on yourself? I have my own opinion, but I would like to, yeah. I'd like to see like kind of how you approach it so you can just learn from it and get what you need out of it. Well, so, I mean, I mean, like anything else, this has been a process, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And I've got, it's gotten, I've gotten <laughs> better at doing that, you know, and, and what I mean by that is that I've gotten less judgmental with myself. I, I've, I've gotten less hard on myself and I, I, it's, it's, it's much more about, okay, like, like, my, sorry, I'm kind of mixing a couple things here, but like, you know, after, when I'm listening to myself in the aftermath of a concert, the first thing I'm thinking about is like, did I feel like I did my best in every moment of that concert? And that goes back to focus and like, right. paying, yeah, yeah. 
And it's like... Because I'm sure for you, doing your best has very, less to do with perfection and more exactly. to do with intent. It, yeah, yeah my, like exactly how I approached it. It's like, it was I just going for it every moment? Yeah, was yeah. I, was I, what, you know, the thing I, that I want to have not happen is like, was I afraid of something? Was I being careful somewhere? You know, was I... You know, that's for me the biggest thing. It's like, you know, so was I just, you know, was I doing my best? Was I was I doing everything I could in the moment? Yes. Okay. So that's out of the way. I listen to myself and it's like, okay, you know, this isn't, you know, if if I'm going to do it again, I'm going to do this differently. Mm-hmm. But I'm not like, you know, stupid. Why didn't I do it? You know, it's like. <laughs> well, and this goes to a large, I think, that, I mean, this goes to a large, a much larger issue in my mind of just. Uh, attaching our in identities to us as players, oh, right? That, that's the larger <laughs> issue here, right? I like to have this conversation with multiple people because I think a lot of people get forced to deal with this when they get their job because you are so gung-ho about winning a job mm-hmm. when you're young, which I think you need to be, yeah. that you don't really, you're not really a person. You're just <sighs> someone who's trying to get a job. Dude. And then you get a gig and then you realize okay, like this isn't everything. And then I was forced to deal with it when I didn't get tenure in Indianapolis. And I I made a whole podcast episode about this, so I don't have to go in depth. If you haven't heard that, go find one called Lessons from Indy. But basically what I learned is, the lesson is called You're More Than Meets the Eye. What is that from? Wait. Transformer, more than meets the eye. Oh yeah, Transformers. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was pretty clever. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, so basically that like, and it boils down to this distinction. I would like you to, to, to run with this. It boils for me down to the distinction that I play the trumpet. I'm not a trumpet player. That's Dude. like how I describe it. It's like a super simple thing, but it encompasses everything I feel about this. I don't know if you want to run with that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, you're saying this really well. I mean, and I agree 100%. I mean, and, and what you said about, um, you know, most people having to figure this out once they get their job is absolutely my experience. You know, like, and I was totally, again, like you said, I was this one track mind. It was like practicing. It was auditions. It was winning a job. Which again, got you there at 24. Right. I think that's the thing is there's sacrifices to be made, right? To, to right. be successful that early. And I'm not, I don't think anyone would say it's right or it's wrong. It's just how it works out. Yeah. But I think, yeah, like guys like us who hit some success relatively early have some stuff to figure out later on. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I totally had to figure it out. I mean, because I'm not going to lie, like, you know, early on, like, I, honestly, my first year on the job when I was on probation or the, what, 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 what is it? Technically, it's called the trial acceptance period in the Boston Symphony Orchestra. That's so polite. I know, right? Yeah, like because probation <laughs> sounds pretty awful. Trial yeah. acceptance period. Well, we'll see how it goes. You know. <laughs> um, but so, so, so the first year, the first year was like abject terror, right? Yeah. You know, because it was like you know, I think I've mentioned, I, I've been talking around this. You know, it's like this huge learning curve of like these people have been doing this for as long as I've been alive. And you, you know? listen to the like, there's people who have been. This realization I had when I auditioned for Chicago is the guys that I am listening for, listening to on recordings mm-hmm. for musical inspiration are the guys that I'll be sitting next to if I won the job. Yes, absolutely. That's yeah. weird. It, it gets in your head. I yeah. mean, and so, you know, I mean, I was, I had to, so basically, you know, when I, early on, I remember vividly the feelings that, you know, I would miss a note, I'd crack a note, you know, splia, cack, whatever. As trumpet players, we always will do. Um, I, I literally, uh, when that happened, I would literally say to myself, it's like, well, 
guess I'm going to get fired or, well, I'm not going to have a career. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, that's a pretty normal thing. It is. But like you think about that, like you remove yourself from the situation. You think about someone saying that. If someone else said that to you, you'd be like, dude, relax. It's, right. I think, yeah, I think you know, it's, like, it's a healthy perspective to think, how would you feel if it was somebody else? Right. And then you're like, probably other people think that. Like, if I wouldn't care that somebody else missed a note. Yeah. Like the whole world doesn't revolve around me. Other people probably don't care that. Right. If you're missing a lot of notes right. every concert, yeah. you might get a talking That's to. That's one thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, and, 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 you know, so there's this balance, right? You know, but, but I think for the most part, you know, um, I, I, all of those thoughts, like this, this extreme anxiety, this extreme, just sort of like, if I'm not perfect, I will get fired. You know, I, I, you can't live like that for very long. And I couldn't live like that for very long. And I had to totally, I had to extricate my feelings of self-worth from the trumpet. And I, that was not an easy process. I didn't always deal with that in a healthy way, you know? Um, and I, you know, fortunately I had my eyes open this whole time. I, I, I was trying to do things mindfully. I was trying to be, you know, healthy enough about it, you know, and, and, and it took years. I mean, I mean, honestly, it took years for me to get to a point where, you know, I could let the music flow and I could make mistakes and just let them go, let them happen. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a wild thing, man. You know, it's like, like I said, I've, I've been doing this for almost, I've been in this job for almost in, in January of 2020, it'll be 10 years. Right. And it's taken me this long to feel this way. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I to me, the, the place I'm at as a human being right now, at this point, I don't know where I'll be when this releases, because <laughs> I have no idea when that's going to be. Right. But right now on August 3rd, 2019, the place that I'm at right now is that that is more important than any part of the job. Dude. Having these experiences that teach us about ourselves like these trials, as the Christian faith would talk about, right? right? These trials that are in our life to, I think, purify us yeah. in so many ways that it's worth it, right? It's worth it to kind of dig down and go there, right? Like right. you have this feeling of, I can't live like this. It's not sustainable. I got to figure this thing out. It's not comfortable to be in that place of trying to figure out why is my self-worth attached to this thing? But yeah. you seem to be so much more like centered, you know, about it. You can talk about it with such clarity. And I think it, it's worth it to dig down and try to figure that thing out. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think, cause it's just, I, I don't know, you know, I, I see people, you know, and we're all at different parts of our journey, right? Mm -hmm. We're all on, on our own journey. We're all in different parts of that. You know, we're in different places. You know, I, sometimes when I see people and they're clearly in pain, right? You know, because it's like, and it's like, it's hard. And it's like, you know, they're just, they can't, you know, it's like, they are this thing and, and it's so important and it's too important. And, you know, and I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I try to gently <laughs> maybe try to nudge people in a certain direction, yeah. you, know, you know, not that I know what I'm talking about, you know, but it's like, who you, am I? Yeah. But it's like, you know, but I, I feel like, You've dealt with some of it. Well, yeah, and, I, and I'm, I'm proud of that. Yeah. Like, not in an egotistical way, but I'm proud of, like, you know, it's like, you know what? I've done this on purpose. I have taken myself a, apart from this, 
you know, and I'm so much happier and more peaceful because of it. And I'm, I'm like, and I play better because of it. And I'm, yeah, and that's I'm, the coolest part of that. The whole thing, right? Is yeah. You're just free to just work on what you need to work yeah. on free from worrying about yeah. that missed note or are you going to blow this thing coming up this weekend? <laughs> Am I going to miss the high C in Ladiche? You oh. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you're free from, you'll just be like, if when I get there, if it happens, that's okay. Dude. <laughs> and yeah, and honestly, man, you know, in the last, I don't know, maybe year, I, this is the way I like to say it is I've almost become like this thrill seeker on the stage. I'm totally not a thrill seeker in my normal life. Like I don't take, I'm not like a skydiver or a bungee jumper. And that's totally cool if people do that. Cause that's, you is know, your biggest thrill, like getting contacts. <laughs> no, I got LASIK, dude. What? Yeah. Oh, I lasered my eyeballs. I like the look. I like the well, look. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. And it's, dude, I see 2015 now. And it's really awesome. <laughs> but <laughs> better than like 2600 so or whatever see, like, it was. Fish in the water. <laughs> Honestly, though, I can see like detail is a lot crisper. Yeah, it's so funny. I, I just <laughs> got glasses because my, my Kathleen was like, you are squinting at everything. Yeah. It's time, right? Yeah. It's time. So I got glasses and I was like, you know what? It helps. Dude. Well, and also I got to yeah. say that glasses are a great like fashion accessory. Yeah. Absolutely. And I kind of miss that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I don't actually miss it. Okay. What were what, we talking about? I don't remember what we were talking about. I'm so sorry. Oh, you're not a thrill seeker, but you are on stage. Yeah. So I'm not a thrill seeker like in my normal life, you know, in that, you know, like I said, like extreme sports or anything like that, which nothing wrong with that if you are. Um, but for me, it's like, I, I cultivate on purpose, like the, what's going to happen tonight? What's, what's this concert going to be like? I don't know. Mm. I know what rehearsals were like. I know what my practicing is like. I have no idea what this concert's going to be like, and let's figure it out. I'm yeah. going to like go for it. It's going to be this like living organism. Yeah. You're, you're forcing yourself to be in the moment. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, I don't know, that works really well for me. I really love it. Like I, I, um, and I'm that having, just sounds like it's a mindset. Like you're just sort of telling, it's not like you have done something. No. You're just like I'm going deciding there. to yeah. do it. Ah, so I, I think it's so much, I don't know. I'm, I just turned 31. So I'm not trying yeah, to sound like, again, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm in, again, I'm in this place where I, I think so much is guided by intentional decisions like that. Yes. Where, and a lot of change mm. is started like that. Yes. Right. Where you make an intentional decision. Yeah. I work out a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I first started, I just was telling Mike this, Mike Martin, this uh, on his episode. But when I started working out, it's because I was fat and I didn't <laughs> want to be fat anymore. Right. And right. Um, okay. anyway, I, like I said, I, I kind of talked about it there, but it started with this intentional decision yeah. of I'm going to do this. And the intentional decision was until I have a six pack. Well, I don't have a six pack. I've never had one. But mm. the idea of like, I've made myself a goal. I'm intentionally doing it. And then I'm going to do whatever I have to do to figure that out. I think so much, it's the same thing of I'm going to figure out how to play a double C, right? right? Or I'm going to figure out how to double tongue, or I'm going to figure out this excerpt. Like you make this intentional decision to be like, you know what? This thing has plagued me for a long time. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give up until I figure it out. And I right. feel like that's like where then you are, then you can actually have like long-term, I'm going to deal with something like my identity yep. or you know that for you, that kind of being in the moment is a great thing for you. So you have made this intentional decision to even up the ante from there. Not just saying like, I'm going to focus and be thinking, well, I don't remember how you said it where you're paying attention closely, mm -hmm. but just to take the next step and put, you know, a little bit of edge on that kind yeah. of thing for the sake of excitement. Yeah. 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 Especially and I, with a job that's, that's not 
it's different because you're playing different repertoire, but you're going to cycle through right. repertoire. So like to even keep it like fresh like that is interesting. Right. Well, cause like, you know, when you have like, you know, say like, you know, in our, in our um, fall and winter season in Boston in Symphony Hall, you know, we do every concert at least three times, sometimes four times a week, you know? And it's like, I remember when we first, when I first started experiencing that, cause that's, you don't do that in school. You don't do that in New World. You don't do that except for when you get a job. And it's like, it was hard for me at first. I was like, you know, because I I get myself all ready for a concert. I'd do it and be like, oh, no, I have to do this like three more times. You know, what can go, everything can go wrong now. You just get in your head about it, yeah. You know, but but now it's like everything, every time you play something, it's good. Like, you know, it's going to be different. And so just like celebrating that yeah. and inviting that, it's just sort of like, it's like, this is going to be a different, even if like one night, man, you like, you nail it. It's like, like better than you would ever have thought it would be, you know? And, and I think a natural thought creeping in can be like, oh, I still have to do this again. It's not going to be like that. It's like, no, it's not going to be like right. that. And that's It's okay. going to be different. That's so cool. Um, I, you're going to love this story and it's mm-hmm. very similar to what you're talking about. Um, I, I, at the beginning of last season, we had to play the Bartok Concerto for Orchestra. Ooh. And I I felt like something was wrong in my playing, you know? Like, okay. I was struggling to play high notes, which there's a couple of them in that piece. And yeah, just it just felt hard. Like, it wasn't like something was wrong, just things didn't feel right. They didn't feel smooth and easy, right? Yeah. And I felt like, I was like, maybe I'm lifting too much and like I'm like expending all of my energy or maybe I'm not sleeping. I was trying to figure it out, trying to figure out what's going on. Sure. But I still have to play Bartok and with right. like chops that don't feel good. And the first night went pretty well. Okay. I don't remember like making too many mistakes or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I played all the licks and I held on. Yeah. And then the second night, uh, I remember we played Don Juan and I couldn't play the high B at the end of the thing, at the end of the, the lyric solo. I had yeah. to take that down an octave because I just couldn't do it. Wow. I couldn't hold it for whatever reason. And then in the Bartok, some of the high C sharps and stuff, maybe mm. they came out, maybe they didn't. You know the and, and I was like, oh my gosh, like I was barely hanging on. And then I talked to Kathleen afterwards and she literally said, I think you sounded better the second night than you did the first, right? Like my perception of this being, I'm barely holding on, but maybe there was something else special about that performance that had nothing to do with that. And like you said, it was different, but that was okay. And in her opinion, the different was better. Yeah. And that's so weird how that can, that perception can change. And knowing that makes it so you can, I feel like even helps just getting rid of like what I even think or what I care about a given concert because somebody else could have a totally different opinion. Right. And I mean, and that I, I, for, to me, that goes back to like the, you know, like in every moment, are you, are you giving like the, the most effort that you can? And like when, yeah, like when I was struggling to do it, it was like almost that much more intensive of I have to give it yeah. because I, it might fall apart if I don't. Like that's all you have in the tank and you're just, you're giving it all. You're yeah. expending everything you have. You're leaving it all on the stage. Like, and that's, yeah, that's, I mean, and what, what she said, it's like, that made it special. Yeah, isn't that? That's interesting. And then I remember too. Um, there's a few pieces I've played where mm-hmm. I have to like at the end of it, I have to just sit there for like three minutes because I'm so drained, dude. One of them is Rosen Cavalier, right? And yeah. I remember playing the the lyric, the soft lyric solo. It's super exposed in the suite, uh-huh. and it I I like messed it up, right? Which one are we talking about? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe one note wasn't like perfectly connected to the next one, and <laughs> right. I was like upset, you know, because it's a, it's a moment, right? It's like, beautiful. It's not because I was mad I missed it. It's because I ruined that moment, whatever. Yeah. And so then I was like. <laughs> 
I'm going to make up for it in the trio part, right? Right. Oh, that's such a great moment. I was going to make up for it there. And I just like gave everything I had, you know? And at the end of it, I just like had, I just like sat there, like crumpled over for like three minutes. It's like I literally gave everything I had. And I wouldn't have done that if I didn't miss that thing. See, and that's the thing. And and that's like, you know... that's why, like everything, like this idea of success and failure, is uh, not, I think, the way that a lot of people think about it. Like, I, I don't, I, I don't want to, you know, get to. That's why we're here. Bring it to okay. That's why we're here. So I mean, like you know, this like this like American Western. I don't know what it is. Cultural ideal, like idea of success and failure. You know, like winning and losing. You know, yeah. I d- does not apply to music, in my opinion. Not at all. To to performance, to anything. And you know, it's like it's like yeah, like what you were talking about, like you know, when you missed, you know, or like you know that that lyrical solo, it didn't go the way you wanted it to. It's like you didn't fail. It's just sort of like it's like man, you know, it's like I just wanted it to be a certain way, right, right. and then but then that informs right. what happens next because it's like you're not like. Uh, I suck, you know, and it's like, and then you 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 like you like something else falls apart. You're like, see, I'm yeah, terrible yeah. at this. I'm the worst trumpet player. So ever. stupid, you know. It's, it's like so no, bad. it's just sort of like you like redouble your efforts. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. know, you're just sort of like, you know what, you know, man, okay, I'm make up for it with the next phrase, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like you get more excited and more, just sort of like your eyes widen. And you're just yeah. sort of like, all right, you know, let's and do this. You know, I find it. So if we know that, if we know <laughs> that information, yeah, it's so hard. This is where like the focus and the paying attention and giving it all. So if I miss that note and then I doubled my efforts, then I know that I'm capable of giving that kind of effort all the time. Right. That's very difficult to do day in and day out. Totally. That's the part I think is the hardest about a job. Yeah. It's not even really playing the music, right? It's just the focus. And this is focus to me, like that definition of focus. It's the focus to, to be in the moment and to give double your efforts as your normal effort yeah. in terms of like no understanding your role, understanding what kind of musical contribution you're trying to give. And when it's your thing, it's you. And when it's not your thing, you're supporting with everything you have and just like giving all of yourself. That's hard. That's it's, so hard. It's really hard. And I mean, like, you know, I, yeah, I, worth I, it. it's totally worth it. I mean, like, and it's, I mean, you should, I, I tell this, say this to my students sometime because sometimes I don't know why I'm looking over there. I say this to my students sometimes, you know, where, you know, they're getting so like technical, they're getting so much into like the trumpet and it's like, no, you know, like I want you to be just like mentally and emotionally exhausted Mm -hmm. after the solo that you're playing or after this etude, this Charlie etude. It's like dig freaking deep, man, you know? Okay. So let's unpack this for a second. Okay. Dig, dig deep. I think is difficult for a lot of people to do. And Barbara, in, in her episode, Barbara actually said it pretty well. There's just three stages. There's like the learning of the music, mm-hmm. there's the internalizing of the music, mm-hmm. and then there is the performing of the music. Yeah. And all three of those are like things to work on in and of themselves. So what we're talking about, I think, is the step around internalizing into performing, right? Yes. So digging deep is that it's becoming a part of you that you can draw upon. And as you get older and you have life experience, mm-hmm. there's more to to draw upon. Yes. But how do we, how do you as a teacher, as what you've learned as a performer, how do you 
either teach this? How do you dig down? What does that even mm. mean to you to dig down deep? Because I feel like it's something you hear often, right. but that's not good enough for me, right? It's right. not good <laughs> enough just to hear dig down deep. I want like, so, if you can, because sometimes it's hard to do. Yeah. If you can come up with some sort of tangible thing that somebody out there listening could say, I have trouble digging down deep. Right. I'm going to try this. Like how would, let's try to, if we can't, if it's hard to do, let's try to figure it out together if we can come up with something. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think this is hard to, to, to verbalize or explain, but I mean, I, I think we have to connect to like a, a, a deeper reason that we're deep to, to, I'm using the word deep to describe digging deep. I'm going to try not to do that. Like a more profound or a more complex emotion or, or group of emotions, you know, that are a source of inspiration for a given piece of music or a given part of a piece of music. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that says it. It or, does. So it gets close. What that makes me think then is I think the first step in that is you have to be willing to go there then. Yeah. Yeah. We have to be really emotional. I mean, like I think, you know, something else that I that I like to say um is like, you know, we have to okay, think about like a Hollywood actor. Think about like, you know, some famous person who's into a lot of movies and like they're kind of crazy, right? They're kind of messes. <laughs> you know, like really, right, you right. know, and then it's like, oh, but they're actors, you know, so it's like they have to be these other people on screen or on stage. Mm. We're, we're the exact same thing. Yeah, true. We have to embody that much emotion that like isn't necessarily in there naturally. We have to cultivate that. We have to be like, what is this? What emotion is this? Yeah. Like, what, what does this mean? What does this sound? What does this actually sound like in an emotional sense? Yeah. Does it sound like, you know, melancholy? Does it sound, is this bittersweet? Is this, is this like, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm making a facial expression that I can't even, I don't even yeah. have a word for. I'll draw it and put it in the uh, blog post. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I okay, mean, I got another question for you. Yeah, okay. You are a principal trumpet, so often you get to do that. Yeah. Uh, a soloist will get to do that. Yeah. What does a section player do who doesn't get to make, generally, this is something I'm going talk to talk to Ben about, but you don't get to make those decisions, you know? You're not the one deciding. You're not the one digging down deep. You're like digging down deep through somebody else's digging down deep, right? Oof. And you're trying to like match what their intensity of something is. So you're, it's like a matching and trying to do that. So we have the luxury as principals to talk like this, right? But section yeah. violinists, you know, Dude. section woodwind, section brass, like what for them would you say, like trying to trying to come up with solo recitals or, I mean, obviously you can learn repertoire, but nothing is going to replace that feeling of a uh, performance, right? right? In terms of sharing that down deep thing. Like wh what do they do? You know what I mean? I mean, that's maybe one option. Do you yeah, have other I, thoughts of how they can practice digging down deep when they don't have the opportunity to do so on a regular basis like we do? Dude, that's a really, really good point and a really good question. Boom! Yeah, dude. And I mean, and honestly, you know, it's something, actually, it's something that I have to deal with, not that I do very often, but more often than say you do. Because since I'm associate principal and since yeah. I sometimes play in the section, I'll be really honest, dude, I find it difficult. I never do. I, I mean, playing I, section to me isn't a... It's not an enigma in terms of being able to blend and match, right? But it's an enigma of how to, what, how do, you, how you get a sound concept that comes through somebody else, dude. That is so. That's that's what I'm gonna try to pick Ben's brain about. That. Yeah, that's a really. I feel like he's incredibly good at that. He is incredibly good at that. I think he would have a really good answer. I mean, like you know, one thing that came to my mind, that comes to my mind, and that I think about when I am playing in this section, is that I want to. I want to be the best 
third trumpet player in that given piece that I can possibly be. I want, and, and this mm. probably sounds egotistical, and I really, it doesn't, it isn't that way in my head, and I certainly don't mean it that way, but it's like, I want the third trumpet part on whatever piece this is to be the best version of that that I've ever heard. You know, because like what drives me crazy, and this is a little bit of a tangent, what drives me crazy is like, you know, when you find a recording of, I don't know, the, the, the pieces that off the top of my head, Alpine Symphony, Mahler 5, those two are just the first ones off the top of my head. You find these, and there are a bunch of recordings of both of those pieces. And those third trumpet parts are really cool. And yes, there's some soloistic things, but there are also some more sections sort of like, you know, group dynamics. You know, there are some octave parts with the first player, you know, all this kind of stuff. It drives me freaking crazy when those parts sound anemic, when they sound just not inspired. You know, so so as as a section player there, like I I, I wanna risk I wanna risk doing too much. Mm-hmm. I wanna risk bringing it too much and having someone say, okay. You know, maybe. Mm. Do you feel that way because you've been here for a while, and would I you have guess. taken that risk right out of the gate? I didn't take that risk right out yeah, of the gate, and 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 then, and then that then I was frustrated by my contribution. Yeah, I was just like, like, man, this. I, I like, what did I just do? Yeah, I feel the tenure process is such a double edged sword because you're yeah. trying your hardest to do everything right, but mm-hmm. what they hired you to do was the job the way you would do the job. Oh, but like, yes. you you don't want to do it that way because you don't want to like offend somebody <laughs> somehow because like you want to like somehow convince them that like you're this exact thing, but when you get tenure, you're like, oh, I can do my job the way I want to, but they gave you tenure because you were doing the job this way. It's like this big convoluted (laughs) thing, you know? And I I actually really dislike it, and I've never... I've never really... The two times I've had to get tenure, one of them not... I'm 50-50 right now. (laughs) Um, I've just never tried to do... I mean, as principal, it's a little bit different, right? But I've never tried to do it any other way than the way... And what what you said, sorry, what you said is exactly what I'm about to say. I never tried to do it any other way than the way I thought it could be doing right at that place, right? Right. And that's why I like what you said before you said the egotistical thing, which was to, to play the third part the best that I can play it. And right. I, I love that because, like, if you're acknowledging playing third is difficult for you to do in it sort is. of a section capability. I mean, those solos are going to be right up your alley as principal, right. Right? right? But the section stuff, if you are willing to admit that's difficult for you, mm-hmm. then we can, like, start from that place of this is difficult. And maybe somebody who only plays third mm-hmm. might be better. But mm-hmm. if we're talking about it in terms of success and failure and who cares, you're just like, this is my contribution, but I'm going to give you the best. I'm going to give you double effort like right. we talked about right now. Maybe next week I will be a better section player and a year from now and 10 years from now. Right. Yeah. Because I have, I mean, I while I still feel like it's a weakness for me, it's, it's not something that comes naturally to me. I have gotten better at it because of this thing where I'm like, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to do the best I can. Because I, I remember vividly playing section parts where I would, I was trying not to mess it up. I was trying not to lead. I was trying not to come out of the texture too much. I was trying not to bother someone. And that was a recipe for not playing it very well. Yeah. Honestly, I I I didn't do a good job at it. That's what I mean about guys, guys who do this, guys and gals, like guys is colloquial here. Right. Yes. Guys is non, Uh, is non-gender specific. Uh, people who yes. do this for a living and they get really good at it. Yeah, I think their sound concept is different than ours. I yeah. think they have the ability, which confuses me, they have the ability to to make their sound concept through somebody else. And I don't know how to do that. I, I have like totally like, this is what I think it should sound like, but that's what I've been doing for for my whole career. I've right. never not played principal. And so it's it, it's just an interesting thing to me that 
the the jobs are so different, mm-hmm. and I, there are people who can do both. Yes, well. But in my opinion, most people are going to do one a little bit better than they're going to do the other one. I I I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I think you're absolutely right because I mean, I've certainly put myself in that. Mm-hmm. You know, I definitely play first better than I play third. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is interesting. When I when I spoke with Rolfs, he said he never wanted to be a principal player. He always thought he'd be a better section player. Yep. Did you always want to be a principal player? Was that like your sort of? For me, that was my trajectory. It just was like clear. My, like with my personality and my leadership and my playing, it was pretty clear yeah. that first trumpet was like a strength of mine. Right. Did you feel similarly or were you, mm. did you just kind of like win this job and figure it out? I mean, no, I did not feel similarly. Um, I only ever took one principal audition um, because I, I kind of shied away from those. Um, you know, this kind of goes back to the whole like, you know, like, you know, my, my performance anxiety or like, you know, my being wrapped up in my trumpet playing and like, you know, not dealing well with making mistakes, you know, that's the whole thing that we've, that we've talked about. Um, you know, I thought for a long time that the, the, like a dream job was, was fourth, like utility. I've heard people say this before. Yeah. Cause it's like, man, you, you know, you got this job and, you know, it pays well and, you know, it's cool, but it's like not that hard and you right. like don't have to like put yourself out there that much, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. but so, so I mean, so <laughs> yeah. no, I, I wasn't like seeking out, but you know, I guess, uh, I'm trying to think, I think what, I think what convinced me this might sound weird, but this is just the truth. I think what convinced me I could do this job that I have was because I almost won the audition that I took for it the first time I took it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, oh, well, maybe I can do this. Yeah, interesting. You know, and it's like, and then it kind of changed my opinion about myself. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. You know, and it went well. I got to the end of the audition. And it was like, cool. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I should, okay. Yeah, that's so interesting to me. I did the Ellsworth Smith competition in Ooh, 2012, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and I did that because my undergrad teacher said, you should do this. I, I didn't actually care that deeply okay. about doing it. <laughs> and <laughs> it was in 2012, right after Tanglewood, mm. right? And okay. so I was at Tanglewood when I should have been preparing for this thing. <laughs> so I prepared... As much as I could, given the circumstances. Right. And then I had about two weeks in between where I practiced for like six hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> to make up for some of that, uh, so that I work. And it's interesting because I think to a greater extent, what, what made me win is maybe I wasn't the most refined player there, but I just went for it. You know, Dude. I had no other option but to put what I thought out there. And I got comments back and not everything was received <laughs> properly. You know what I mean? I played right. some uh, ill-informed Haydn stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. um, but the point I'm making is, is I always thought of myself as an orchestral player. Yep. Always. And then I won that. Mm. And then I thought, Maybe I could be a soloist. You know, it took like winning a huge competition to think of myself that way. And it's, right. it sounds similar to you where yeah. you didn't maybe really think of yourself as one thing, but it didn't stop you from trying either. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people will stop. They say, I'm not a principal player. I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm not going to try that. Yeah. And I think like, so we should we should talk about this for a second. This idea of putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, uncomfortable positions for mm-hmm. the sake of growth or at the very minimum trying something you're not sure what the outcome will be yeah because it could be good it could also be bad but rejection shouldn't stop you right so i don't know if you want to elaborate on what i just said or 
maybe I, you don't have maybe there's nothing to elaborate upon. No, I mean you said it pretty well, man. I mean, I like you know about this stuff a lot, man. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and that's good. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, I, no, I, I don't think. Yeah, pigeonhole, pigeonholing oneself, I don't think is. That's not a positive thing. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses. Or like, you know, like your strengths and the things that you're not as strong at. Celebrating your strengths and like, and just going after the things that you're not as good at. You know, I think that's a really important thing. And, and, and like, there's a big difference between that and pigeonholing. Like being like, man, okay, so I'll, this is about me. I'm not, okay, two things that I'm not super strong at. You know, I'm not strong in the lower register. I'm not a strong multiple tonguer. I've gotten better at both of those things and I continue to get better at them. But I don't say, well, I, I'm a high player or, well, you know, I, I you know, I, I, oh, I, I don't want multiple tongues. It's like, no, I, I'll, I'm going to give my, my freaking best yeah, yeah, yeah. to do those things. And I, I, so I will not pigeonhole myself. I'll just be honest with myself about things. I'm, but that goes back to, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, a lot of us feel like it's a given, right? That you just have to tackle your weaknesses. But mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, um, you got, it starts with vulnerability, right? It starts mm -hmm. with even being open to like oh. accepting that there's things to work on, which I think for most musicians, it's actually, I think the general population doesn't do this as well as musicians do yeah. because we're forced to deal with this at all times at our thing or else we just wouldn't get anywhere, right? Right. If we never worked on our weaknesses, we would never get anywhere. But it's also exhausting to only work on your weaknesses right. because you just feel like you are bad. You know what I mean? Right. So is there a time in your day where you feel like you have a, like obviously probably I would say 90% of your work is probably on weaknesses, things mm -hmm. you want to get better or at least at minimum maintenance right making mm -hmm. sure you think skills don't go away right is there a time that you purposefully put in things you know you sound great on so you can remember that you sound good you enjoy playing the trumpet is there a purposeful time for that or huh anything like that <laughs> uh sometimes that's a really good question wow i haven't really thought about that uh huh i do it almost almost every session that's a good idea almost. i mean Sorry, I, I interrupted you, uh -huh. but I think, you know, I'm thinking about like, there are things in my day, in my practice day that fill that space, but I, I don't, it's not like I'm, I'm like purposefully like I'm doing this because I sound good at it. I, I think maybe there, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like so, I do things right, in my right, normal right. practice day that it's like, I do sound good and I then do come easily to me and are very natural and it feels good. And I guess I do acknowledge that it feels good. Yeah, it yeah, sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Or that I like how it sounds. I guess, yeah, maybe that's a bad way to put it, although it says the same thing, that we do it because we sound good. I just think it's, like, totally acceptable no. to, like, <laughs> enjoy yeah. playing the trumpet. Yes. And I think I think for a lot of people, if you don't naturally do that, if, you, if you're, like, constantly digging into your weaknesses and mm -hmm. you're in this, like, bad place, because that's natural. That's, like, a completely natural thing, right? Yep. If you only work on things you sound bad at, it's going to be hard to remember that you can actually do your instrument. Yes. Especially when you're younger. So finding something that you can do well and then being like i'm gonna allow myself so i would say every other practice session mm -hmm. i'll i'll just pick like an etude book mm -hmm. ones that i right now it's i'm like i'm learning an etude a week so it's a little bit different but generally mm -hmm. speaking i'll just uh i'll just pick like a charlier and mm -hmm. i'll play like i don't know this is gonna be people are probably gonna be upset that i say this but i'll play like six of them you know, yeah, and just like blow through them. It doesn't have to be perfect. I'll get yeah. tired. I'll just stop. You know what I mean? Right. But I mean, I know a lot of people probably struggle getting through like a Charlie or whatever. So maybe they're upset that 
I would do, I, you know, that's like the level that I'm at, right? And so I just, but it's mostly, it's not about that. It's like, I right. want to like live in Charlier for a while. Right. You know, I'll, or I'll play like 10 Bordonis or I'll play like five or six Brants. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just want to like live in that world of like, I'm just enjoying playing the trumpet. Yes. And enjoy playing music because uh, I don't know, like when you play, we played the Beethoven cycle last year. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's beautiful music, but it the trumpet is. part is not always as active. And it's true. Sometimes it, it's easy. It's not, it's not even hard. It's easy to get into the space of this sucks. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I mean, well, and it's like, you know, feeling, I mean, dude, I, t I totally get you. I mean, cause like, you know, Beethoven is beautiful music and you know, I think it's more difficult. Well, okay. It's more difficult for me than I think I would have thought when I was in school right, just right. because of like the subtlety. Absolutely. You know, re required like, you know, like 10 different versions of like a mezzo forte articulation, basically, you know, yeah. depending on like what is going on. But um, in terms of like, we just don't, we don't get to blow in the same way. We don't just right. get like blow the cobwebs off. So like totally like, you know, in those times, actually, you know, it's funny, like when I'm doing a lot of Mozart, Beethoven, like when like parts of the season come up where that's happening, I'll like, I'll blow through some Charlies. I have three that are, that I've memorized that I will just blow through, Yeah, you know, two, three and 12. Yeah. So I do that a lot. Yeah. You know? I do that a lot. Yeah. Uh, because it just reminds me. Music's cool, you know what I it mean? It is, yeah. And no, I, it sounds so trite, but I think it's so <laughs> important, you know? It sounds, it it's so important to remind ourselves, like, why we do what we do. Because the yes. reality of a job is it's it's a bit of a grind, yep. and yours way more than mine. I mean, we work a lot, but you guys work a lot, you know? And you just, like, you just you just go in there and you do it, and you do your best. But um, being able to do something on your own terms... Yes. It's like, a, it's like it's, it, for people who don't have a job, they're, like, practicing whatever they want all the time. They yep. probably look at it and go, like, Oh, I would love to have a job where like I'm a part of this ensemble, right? But sure. to me, like playing stuff on my own terms is the best thing on That's the planet, true. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, I agree. 100 percent Um, how long have you been into mindfulness? Um, I mean, you know, when when I say That's a weird way to ask that question. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so man, when'd you get into mindfulness? Yeah. No. Um, no, I I I think it's a fine way to ask the question. Um, you know, I think for me, I'm gonna Qualify that. I, I, I'm. It's like a huge part of my life. I don't actively practice a lot of those things, but they're like parts of how okay. I view the world. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I would absolutely. I would say I feel the same way yeah. because, like you know, I, and I, what I was just going to say is, I'm going to qualify that by saying, you know, am I really into mindfulness? I don't meditate. Um, I do. I do things like you know these guided runs I was talking about. Um, that sort of in are part of sort of the mindfulness sphere. I, you know, for a while, uh, I can't remember what years, you know, but there was a while where I got really into yoga. You know, I really enjoyed that. And that was kind of my first taste of that whole thing, mm -hmm. you know, of this like mindfulness of this also just like, you know, um, total acceptance, accepting what happens, you know, accepting just everything, you know, and, and not having um, a preconceived, expectation of a specific result. And that's actually a big thing for me. And that, that translates directly to performing, Yeah, you know, cause it's, a, you know, it, it's just sort of like, you know, if I try to make one specific thing happen, number one, most likely that one thing is not going to happen. And number two, it's going to be really rough <laughs> yeah. in the process. I think about it in terms of standard versus expectation mm. and that like my standard is very high yeah but my expectation is ideally zero 
Dude. Right? That's the way I try to think about it. And yeah. it came from this quote I read from Michael J. Fox. This is in the lessons from Indy 1-2. He said, I am very careful to distinguish between excellence and perfection. Excellence I can achieve. Perfection is God's business. And I think it's a very good way to put this. Dude, that is. It's just like, that's how that's how it is. Like, we can strive to be the best that we can be, but perfection is not a worthwhile or a worthy cause. Or a possible yeah. outcome. Have you seen this thing, like, have you seen this thing floating around Facebook right now where the guy says people are worried about perfection or whatever, but it's like the imperfections is what makes it unique and interesting yeah. and stuff like that. And it's just like, people will prefer that. I don't remember what the exact quote is, but basically people prefer almost subconsciously will prefer the imperfections because it makes it unique. Yes. I mean, and, and it's so true. And and the thing that I think that we, that, you know, that we get wrong. Well, I don't like saying that we get wrong. The, 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 the mistake that we make is that like, yeah, like a, a good performance is like a perfect one. No, a good performance is a confident one. A good performance mm. is one with a lot of intent behind it. You know, that's actually, that's something that I realized, you know, like I don't, I don't listen to a lot of live performance because I'm a part of live performance like all the time. But the times that I have listened to live performances, classical, you know, orchestral or otherwise, it's like, it's like the... It's the confidence and like the just sort of like, this is it that comes through to me. And you don't have to like, and I think another mistake that people make, make is that it's like, well, once I'm good, I'll be able to be confident. No, no, no. You decide to be confident. You decide to like own it. You decide to be like, this is, this is the way it goes. And that, that like makes you good. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, I also think too, this is, this is a great topic as well uh, to cover with you. Um, Confidence is, I think, a mindset, but I also think it can be generated through like proper preparation. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I think that's like kind of one of the most important parts. I have this, I, I don't know, I would love for what, to see what you think about this. In grad school, just made this up, right? This idea up. Mm -hmm. I think people get nervous. It's a three-pronged approach. 90% of it is preparation, right? Yeah. If you don't, and, and I, so much of it too is belief. It's not just that you are prepared. It's that you believe you're prepared. Right. So if you walk into an audition and you are objectively prepared, but you think you could have done more, Right. This is the idea of what people say. What are you willing to do? Like, how hard are you willing to work? Like, you should not look back and say, I wish I would have, you know. Right. So if you believe that walking into an audition, you're never going to play your best because you have to believe at the end of the day, walking in there, you've done everything you could possibly do because you can't change anything. Right. And so you're going to like, like you said, you're going to do the best you can at that time. Right. If that doesn't win the job, that doesn't mean you failed. Right. That means there's a, something to learn to be more prepared next time. Yes. Sort of. That's the ninety percent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, if you're if if that if that check mark is taken care of, mm -hmm. but you still get nervous, mm -hmm. I think it goes down the circle because these are all connected, right? Right. It goes down the circle, and the next point is um, you care what other people think. Yeah. Like what the committee thinks. If you miss a note, you're thinking, "Oh, am I out now? Right. Or do they care?" Or like with you, and you 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 chip a note, and you think you're going to get fired. I mean, right. that causes so much. Per I call it perceived pressure. Yep. Oh, dude, yeah. I I use that exact phrase too. Yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. Perceived pressure. So let's say you're a person like me who is prepared, who believes they're prepared, mm -hmm. and you're and and you don't care because I don't care. Like basically what most people think. Um, I, there are certain few that I trust their opinions. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also, we should maybe cover that too. There's, that's a very important part of progressing is you should care what some people think. Right. You shouldn't necessarily not care what anybody thinks. There should be like trusted people that are on your side that know what you're about. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know if you have, you feel like you have people that are like that for you, where you just trust, you trust that they want your best. And those are the people you trust their opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, yes, I have, you know, I mean, close friends in the orchestra, you know, who, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I know that if I'm like, man, this is what I think is happening. Is this actually happening? Or, or like, you know, is this, ah, this doesn't, you know, is this sharp? Is this flat? Is this too loud? Is this too soft? You know, stuff like that. You know, yes, I do trust them. Yeah, yeah. You know, I trust that they, you know, not only have my best interests in mind, but they're just going to be honest with me. Sure. And that's, I like, for many people, that's a teacher, right? Right. That's the person you trust. But mm-hmm. as you get out of there, you don't have a teacher. Right. The hard thing about a job, too, I find, is who do you trust? Mm-hmm. And that's not always apparent right out of the gate. True. That's yeah. that's a hard thing to navigate when you don't know the landscape yep. and you're looking for somebody to to trust. Yeah. Uh, I've been, yeah. I've had I, weird experiences with that and stuff. I mean, we all have. We all have sure. where like, you know, something weird happened. Anyway, that's another conversation. Probably not <laughs> on, on microphone, but um so boom, number two is you care what people think. And if those two things are in check, then mm-hmm. what for me, the third thing was is that you are assigning different importances to different things. So you practice your fundamentals and you're just like running through the motions. And yeah. then when you play excerpts, you're like, okay, now it matters. As instead of flipping that and saying, my fundamentals should matter to me as much as my excerpts, as much as my etudes. If everything is special, then nothing is special. And then that would lead then into your preparation because then you're preparing in a way where like everything is, you're constantly ingraining the way you want things to go rather yeah. than like having throwaway like throwaway reps or whatever you want to call them, throwaway, like, you know yeah, what I mean? Like you're playing yeah. scales. It's like, yeah. I think you can get so much out of a C major scale Absolutely. if you're just... Like, I, I, think, yeah. I think we all need to be, I think we all honestly like need to um, approach, uh, yeah, fundamentals like, you know, quote unquote boring fundamentals much more musically and with like much more like emotional intensity. Honestly, yeah. like you, we got to like phrase through our lip slurs. Right. You know, not just a... Well, and that also mimics what we need to do. Like right. when we're playing musically, we're trying to phrase through something. We should probably play those right. things in that same way. Why, so it actually helps us. Why shouldn't we be doing that all the time? Right. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's like what? We're just going to like, you know, yeah. Like I said, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, like, no, it's just like, um, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. why would you not play it like that? Yeah, absolutely. Totally agreed. Um, so I think that's like a three-pronged thing about, about being nervous. And that's not the it, extent, right? Because then there is a fourth one, which I totally agree is, it's like a square now. It's no longer, <laughs> a, it's no longer a circle with three points. It is now a square. It could have been a triangle, but I yeah. made it a circle. But now it's a square and it has corners, but you can still travel from one to the other. Right, right. It's like <laughs> the string theory where we're going to put two points together and now you've instantly, tra- never mind. That that's way over my head. I have a friend who's into it, so I know that's a little cool. bit about it. <laughs> that's <laughs> or cool. Or he's into like learning about it. Anyway, the fourth one would be you care about the outcome, right? This right. is the hardest one for me to deal with now. When I go yep. to an audition, I have all three things like dialed in, those yep. first three things. But the fourth thing, when I went to Chicago, no matter how much I told myself something, I just couldn't separate myself from there's a job on the other side of this. That was so hard. hard for me to do. That's hard, yeah. man. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, and I... You know, I wish I had like a silver bullet. You know, I, I wish I had like a, well, I'll just, you know, this. I mean. And I have a job, you know what I mean? Yeah. I have a job to go back to. Yeah. And so it's not, it's like people will say having a job makes it easier because you can care about the outcome less because you're there. But it's like, I right. showed up, you know, I went, I prepared, I showed up. I obviously want this. 
Right. And this actually, you know, and that's like, this actually, like, this reminds me of uh, one of these sort of um, mindfulness guided runs that I, that I do kind of regularly um, where it's like, you know, you don't want to think about the outcome and then you try to justify, you kind of, you try to think your way out of thinking about something. And that's a lot of thinking, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, and I'm not saying you, I'm just saying like, you know, everyone in general, yeah. like, you know, one does that. And it's like, you know, I think the, the thing, and you know, it's a lot easier said than done is like, like the, to be tried to, to try to be so wrapped up in the experience of just playing in the experience of just like each excerpt, just yeah. be like, you know, like eyes wide, just like in that music, <laughs> you know, like, almost, you know what I mean? Like almost like glassy focus, just like, yeah, man, that's like total presence, right? What we know? talked about before. I, I and, think, that, and that, and yeah. I just, it's, it's easier said than done. And, and it's like, you but know, it takes practice too. I think exactly. the more you practice that way. Yeah, exactly. You know, whether you, whether you do meditate or whether you do, you know, like, you know, when you exercise in whatever way, you know, like, you know, like, yeah, it's 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 tough to verbalize too. It is, yeah. And I just think this is something uh, Mike said in his interview. I think it's a beautiful way to put because he does so much stuff, right? So how mm -hmm. does he do it? And he just basically is like, I'm just present for whatever I'm doing, dude. And that makes it so I can give everything I have to that thing while it's happening. And then when it's time to stop that thing, I let that thing go and I move on. So if we apply that to performance, yep. you play a lick, you have this excerpt coming up or an audition, you have an excerpt coming up, you're giving everything you have to that excerpt and then you have to move on yes. and give everything in terms of presence. You can't yep. be thinking about, this is why the Chicago audition is so, oh, is that your phone? Yeah, sorry. That's cool. Um, do you need to take it? No, that's my wife. Yeah, go for it. Okay. We'll just keep it on. Hello. Hi, honey. Oh, no, it's okay. It's okay. We're We're... But we are, I'm just going to leave this in. We're, we're just going to leave it in. It's, yeah. it's just going to be on the <laughs> blog. It's just me, just me talking to you on the phone. <laughs> His wife's name is Emily, I believe. Okay, I'm going to check the onion status. Um. <laughs> so I listened to a, a Joe Rogan interview with Russell Brand. This is just me. Tom has left now. He's checking the status of the onions. We have a couple onions. Uh, and I, so I listened to this Russell Brand podcast and... Yes. I had taken my podcast very seriously and I was like, it's got to be proper. And then uh, Russell Brand went to the bathroom in the middle of their interview and they just left it in. And so he's not there for like five minutes and Joe is just talking. And I was like, if one of the most popular podcasts can have a guy go to the bathroom in the middle of the interview... <laughs> I think things are okay. <laughs> it's also Russell Brand. I mean, like yeah. that dude. I mean, but honestly, I mean, what he's just he like does what he does. He's like in what he does. Yeah, his his interview is fascinating to me because I mean, he's talking about like taking psychedelic drugs and trying to like become one with God, and that's like where he's at as a person. That's cool. But a lot of the concepts he was talking about, I totally agree with. You know, yeah, yeah I, I totally agree with. So, yeah. um, what we were talking about? Oh, the Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the Chicago audition. Um, this is the last thing I'll say about this. I have one more question that shouldn't take too long and then we're done. So the, the Chicago audition is, uh, I basically, I like the way they do it because they don't give you a list. Yes. You play the, and so you can't, you physically can't be thinking ahead. Yes. They it, just, do, they, do yeah. they just like put each thing yeah. on your stand yeah. so as you, you they, go? They tell yep. you the first thing you're going to play so you can sort of warm up and prepare for that. And then it's kind of like if you play well enough, you get the next one. Yep. And so you're playing for another excerpt every six. Yeah. So you like have to go for it. I like that a lot. I like that too. And that's actually how the BSO did it the the two times I auditioned for this job in the first round even too? 
Because Chicago's first round was like that. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure. That's, I now think that's, I can't remember, but I'm almost positive yeah, that, that it was... I think that's such a cool way to do it. It was awesome. I mean, honestly, like, I think that was, like, part of the reason why I did so well in the audition. Because it's like, it's like you said, you cannot think ahead. Yeah. You, I mean, and, and like, I mean, like, I guess you could try to guess what's next. But, I mean, no, I don't think most people are going to do that. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, right. that's, like, silly. Okay, last question. Okay. I promise. If okay. you have a good, succinct answer, we can end soon. So be ready. I should have told you I was going to ask you this question, but okay. I didn't. So uh, we have this idea we've heard all the time. Classical music is possibly dying, right? And there's there's less and less audiences. The audiences are getting older or whatever like that. But I don't agree with this. And I'm curious what your take is on why you think classical music should be re is relevant maybe to you, is relevant to our culture. Like, why is it still something that people should care about? Man. That's a good question. You should have asked. I should have told you I was going to eh, ask you No, nah, it's probably better this way. You know, I can kind of try to, you know, speak from the heart um, in the moment. That's right. If this you, is better. If, this is better. If, if you will. <laughs> um, no, I mean, like, yeah, you know, the whole thing about classical music dying, I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't see that from my perspective. That's what Tom said, too, because Boston's, there's so much support here. There's a lot of support. You know, also, it's, it's a vibrant sort of... Um, there are more cosmopolitan cities, but it's pretty cosmopolitan. It's pretty good. Also, I mean, like, you know, uh, the thing about Boston is is that, like, um, arts, the arts have always been very important. I mean, because there's a lot of education. There's a lot of, like, focus on that. A lot of focus on arts and the culture, especially, you know, like, everyone's always talking about going to concerts. You know, not always classical concerts, but, you know, concerts and and, and exhibitions and, and things like that. So... I, we're, we're fortunate, okay? We're lucky, you know? So from my perspective, and I know it's a privileged perspective, I don't see a whole lot of, like, dying. Um, but you know what I'm talking about, I don't, right? I absolutely, yeah, yeah. no, no. I, and I think in some places that absolutely is the case. You know, <clears throat> I think... Um, you know, I, th I think it's... I think classical music is, is, is important because it... Um, because of its... I would say because of its complex complexity... Mm -hmm. You know, um, I love popular music. I love classic rock. I love the stuff that's being written today. I love, I love music. Okay, I love it when it's simple. I love, I love it when an entire song has literally three chords. Yeah, because it can be catchy and it's really great and it can make people feel a certain way. But I also think that it's important um, for something to exist that is more complex than that. You know, and classical music is that. Jazz is also that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know things that are that are harmonically more complex, that are that are longer, that that actually take sometimes some work to sort of like unpack and get into and be like, you know, like what is this that I'm listening to? And you kind of appreciate it the more yeah, you spend time. Yeah, exactly. Right? And you know, and at first it can be like it can be kind of obtuse. You know, it can be kind of like what I. Uh, what is this? I don't want to do this, you know? And then I totally get that when people are like, I don't like classical music. I totally get why, you know? And I would just, you know, encourage people who feel like they don't like classical music. It's just like, you know, just maybe keep trying every so often. Maybe keep trying, you know, like, you know. It's like beer, you know? Right. Nobody likes their first beer. Dude, that is very true. Yeah. yeah you know, it's like, it's an acquired taste. Absolutely. It's like a lot of stuff. And like, you know, the, the world of classical music is so huge that I think maybe it, it's daunting. It's like, well, how do I find what I like? You know, I think um, there, there, you know, with technology, there's a lot of, you know, I'm talking, I'm thinking about, you know, recordings and stuff like, you know, like, sure, uh, sure. like Apple Music, Spotify. Actually, there's a great classical music streaming service called Idagio. Yeah. That's based in, um, their headquarters are in Berlin. It's like a European thing, but it came to the United States like a year ago. And, you know, you can browse classical music by mood 
by, you know, by things like that, mm. you know, just like you can on, again, like Apple Music, like I, I use Apple Music, but like Spotify, all these, all these services where it's like, you know, you know, say you're, you're, I don't know, you're in a happy-go-lucky mood, you're in a feel-good mood and you want some, you want classical music to match that, you know, go to this app, just be like happy music. And I don't know, probably, what do they give you? Some like probably the four seasons, <laughs> yeah, Vivaldi, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so it's like I don't know. I mean, but I think it's like because it's complex, because it requires like you have to think about it more, especially at first. I think it's yeah, maybe that's well, why and, it's I mean, in this a way, be akin to like all art, but even like something like a fine wine, right? Like yeah. there's wines that you can drink to get drunk and I have drank those wines, <laughs> but I'm learning to appreciate. I've done some wine tastings in the past couple of years yeah. and stuff, but I'm learning to understand how to appreciate the subtleties that wines offer and how to recognize the differences between it. You know, like yep. it's the same thing. Maybe popular music is digestible and it's quick and there's a lot of benefit from that. Sure. But then also spreading your wings a little bit and, and just being willing to try to figure it out. Not saying, it's the same thing we were talking about earlier. Not saying, uh, that's not me. I don't do that. Being like, well, maybe I should, maybe I could try and right. see what happens because there's so much classical music. You'll probably find something, some composer that you'll like. There's definitely something. I mean, like, like, yeah. I mean, honestly, like something has just popped in my head. I, 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 can, I can imagine that even someone who claims to not like classical music at all, you play... This is just the first thing that popped in my head. You play the the last movement of Pines of Rome for them, pretty sure they'll think it's cool. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You'll yeah. be like, oh, what yeah. up? You know? So that's sort of like a just like generalized prejudiced view, right? Like not necessarily that they don't like classical music. They just don't like the idea of what they think classical music right. is. Right. Yeah, and it's just and it's not their fault. They don't know. You know, it's like it's it's again, yeah, there's a it's a huge sort of dense world to try to get into. Right, right. So that's cool, man. I appreciate you uh, being open and vulnerable and in the moment with me for the past uh, hour and a half or so. Dude, it's been my pleasure. Yeah, this, this has is, been a lot of fun. I, great, I, I've man. had a really great time. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, you're on Facebook as Tom Siders, right? I'm not on Facebook, but I am on Instagram. What is your handle? At Tom Siders. That's just T-O-M-S-I-D-E-R-S. Right. Yep. So if you listen to this episode and you like some of the stuff he was talking about and you want to send him a message and be like, dude, you're super smart. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> I'm sure he'd appreciate hearing that. If you want to get in touch with me and tell me anything, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at That's Not Spit. And uh, what else is there? Oh, uh, if you liked this episode, you enjoyed it, and you want to leave a rating and a review in iTunes, that'd be pretty sweet. Tom, is a sh he's shaking his head, so you should probably go do that. Yeah, you should do that. It, that would be a very cool thing to do. Yeah. And Tom knows what cool things to do are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd, I'd like to thank Brandon Yoakum, uh, my mastering engineer, for making these episodes sound really, really nice and making sure that the only thing that you guys have to focus on is what we're talking about. Um, no extra distractions. And finally, most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time.